Hi, everyone. Welcome to this very special edition of The Defense Never Rest. Uh, I'm Megan with Melissa. Hello. How are you? Great. Today is different and special because we are at the Claims Exchange Conference in in Philly. Um, And we did something similar last year at another conference. And it just worked so well to have this podcast booth and get just pull people in for shorter little episodes and just get like a lot of different guests at once. So I'm really excited to do it again today. And it's fun because you never know who you're going to talk to. Right. Like we really we don't know anybody who's going to be coming on the show today. It's all just folks who are attending the conference. So it's going to be interesting to just figure out their stories and what they're doing and how they got there because uh, strangers always have the best stories. Yeah. And like they don't totally expect us to be here. So they're not like planning to sit down for a podcast and I kind of like to have it keep it authentic and you know keep it easy and simple and um and just have like just conversations so let's get started welcome to the defense never rests with Morgan and Akins your monthly dose of uncommon sense about all things legal and some that are not Hey, Jeff. Welcome to the Defense Never Rest. How are you? Great. Thank you for having me. I, I'm so happy you came on because you walk by and you're like, I'm a fan. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. Pretty famous, Megan. <laughs> I know. I don't know if you it's know the only it. place I'm famous. It's in my house and here. <laughs> no, and on the internet. <laughs> on the internet. On yep. LinkedIn, I guess. Yes. But we're at the Claims Exchange Conference in Philly, um, having podcasts here all, all day. Um, and just pull, pulling people in. And I'm so glad you're, you've decided to sit down and chat with us for a little bit. So how have you enjoyed your time so far? This concert, or concert, this conference has been really, really good. It's very different than all the other conferences. It's so small that there's a lot of new people here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know the first few com- uh, conferences I went to, I was very intimidated. This one is really welcoming because it's so small that you see new faces and everybody goes over and says hi welcome to the club so it's been a lot different then and a lot more welcoming yeah i from talking to sydney i feel like that's the vibe they're really going for is kind of to do it a little bit differently to make it less intimidating and actually make it more collaborative because a lot of conferences i find that you go to you like you don't end up really talking to anybody because it's just so overwhelming yeah so tell us a little bit about yourself you mentioned when we were talking before we started filming that you were a litigator but now you're a consultant. So what is it that you did and what are you doing now? Well, uh, right now, actually, I'm in between jobs. Um, but I have been a claims manager for a national, one of the largest national uh, corporations, private corporations in the country. Before that, I was the director of risk management for the school district of Philadelphia, about mm-hmm. a mile up the road. Wow. Before that, I was the deputy director of risk management for the state of New Jersey. And before that, I was a litigating attorney. I was board certified in workers' comp and litigator. Okay. So, so I asked this, and since you're a fan, you know, I <laughs> asked this of a lot of my guests. Um, you know, how how was it that you made you wound your path to be to go to law school? Because everyone's a little bit different in why we decided to do that. So, what was your path? I always wanted to go to law school. I always wanted to be a lawyer. I never pictured myself in the world of claims. Mm-hmm. I have always had a fascination with the Constitution. In fact, um, I had the CLM article uh, in July reviewing the U.S. Supreme Court decisions. Mm -hmm. I did an article on medical marijuana and all the different federal and state laws and how they are interwoven and tried to pull apart that spaghetti bowl. But I knew I always wanted to be a litigator. And so you hit that point where it's, I can either be in a courtroom all the time Mm -hmm. 
or I can go to the courtroom just a few times, but really wrestle with really tough issues. And it happened to be my path went the first way. Yeah. And, and then after that, um, I was working for a firm and um, I was also involved in politics. And the, I ended up getting breakfast with the governor one morning. Mm-hmm. We got to talking about workers' compensation and he finally just shook his head and said, I don't get it. Why is workers' compensation so expensive in New Jersey? I started talking to him about it. He said, would you like to do a consult? <laughs> I turned to the firm and I said, I've been asked to do a consultation. They said, you'll have to take a leave of absence. Took a leave of absence to do it and never went back to practicing law. <laughs> and and can, if you can say, what issues were you consulting on? Because that's pretty fascinating. Oh, the expense involved with it. Why, d- why is it so expensive? Um, and I had, been a, I had been a plaintiff's lawyer, a claimant's lawyer, and then I became a defense lawyer. So I saw the world from both angles. And though both the plaintiff side or the claimant side, petitioner side in New Jersey is called, and the defense side would both say, it's a lousy system, it doesn't work, the other side has the advantage. No, New Jersey is actually a very well-balanced one. Mm-hmm. And it just happens to be that more times than not the employer isn't protecting themselves and when i say protecting themselves i'm not saying from a legal standpoint making sure i legally position myself you have a factory that's really really loud Mm -hmm. as an employer i can either get proper ear protection or i can buy everybody uh their hearing aids for five thousand dollars what's cheaper buying a (laughs) an $8 set of, of uh, really good headset or the $5,000. And so that's where I moved into claims and claims management and risk management and started, started proselytizing folks. If you're gonna be buying everybody hearing aids, your insurance rates are gonna go up, your deductible is going to go up, and the, your competitor who's doing it the right way is gonna undersell you. Yep. So that's and and then and then you're dealing with occupational claims. They're gonna you know have long lasting uh, sort of exposure for the company, especially like you said, like with a hearing loss. Right. Right. Or, or let's say somebody who keeps getting their uh, people keep getting their hands crushed. Mm-hmm. Well, if you put the guard on, <laughs> the cost of the guard is going to be cheaper than the claims right. arising from and the guard. And then the occupation or the uh, the reputational risk. Up until about six years ago, reputational risk was the number one concern, or maybe 10 years ago. That was the number one risk. Then it became, after that, uh, it became cyber. Mm -hmm. And only now, within the last year and a half, it's been replaced uh, that the C-suite's number one concern is the supply chain. Mm -hmm. But reputation has always been, how how do you get workers to come to work for you when Everyone's getting hurt. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's tough. It's a tough sell to try to go work, uh, bring people in if they, if you're known to have an unsafe work environment. Yeah. And realistically, that's what this is all about as a claims group. We're talking about what are, let's help everybody to understand what the exposures are, what our risks are. So that way, from an insurance standpoint, from a claims standpoint, a claims manager standpoint, uh, from a risk unit standpoint, so that we can address it appropriately. Right, and reduce the risk. Yeah. I mean, that would, I would think would be the goal. Yes, yes. 
Um, now, before uh, when we were speaking, before we started, uh, you had said that you had given a, a, a talk today about um, the opioid crisis. Is that yes. right? Can you just tell us a little bit about that? Because I know that's on uh, a lot of people's minds nowadays, especially. Well, as far as opioids, um, of course, everybody's been watching Dope Sick and right, that whole right. routine. What people don't realize is that when when uh, Oxycontin was the key. When Oxycontin uh, hit the market, it was the first sustained release opioid. Mm -hmm. And it was actually kind of cool. They put paperwork in the packaging that told you how to get a better high. <laughs> Seriously, they did. Yeah. What they did was they said, do not chew, crush, or break the pill. It'll cause you to get too much opioid. It's like, thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> Any other good suggestions? Maybe wash it down with a beer? Um, anyways, um, but as soon as it was approved, they started marketing it to the workers' compensation world. It was a win-win-win because they were marketing it where you had chronic, um, chronic pain. The opioids were solving the chronic pain. The employees loved it. The insurance companies didn't have to pay for all these operations. In fact, one of the key studies that got the approval, uh, the conclusion of the study that appeared in the uh, journal uh, Pain, in 1986 said that actually opioids were more quote humane close hmm. quote than surgery so now insurance companies could buy the pills instead of doing the surgery yep. and of course purdue was loving it too well the question is how do you now get out of this cycle right and realistically i hate to say it, the only way you can do it is on a legal basis yeah this is a very simple legal argument and so it turned out that today the room was filled mostly with lawyers uh, where I was explaining to them, this is how you try your case. Yeah. This is where the flaw exists and this is where you can point out it's time now to break the cycle. And how do you do that? What is right. that argument? It comes down to there's two types of opi or there's two types of analgesics. There's the opioid based and there's the non-opioid based. So Opioid base would be Percocet, Vicodin, Oxycontin. right? Oxycontin. Yeah. Uh, the non would be um, would be your NSAIDs, Flexerol, yeah. um, Aleve, mm -hmm. Motrin, right. Tylenol. Right. And what happens is, when you have an injury, let's say it's your elbow, you have pain. The pain is because you have swelling, and the swelling is pushing on the nerves. Yep. You also have what's called the COX-1 and the COX-2 enzyme, and they're irritating the nerve. If you are taking non-narcotic analgesics, it reduces the pain, it reduces the enzymes, and so the pressure's taken off and lowers the pain. You are relieving the effect of the, of the uh, injury. Swelling, right, the inflammation. Right. Well, the standard, in, I've worked now in 36 different states, in 36 different jurisdictions, and it boils down to the employer's responsible for all reasonable and necessary medical to cure or relieve the effects of the accident. Well, opioids don't cure. No. They don't promote skin growth. They don't promote nerve regeneration. They don't cure. But as far as relieve, the employee, the injured employee, rightfully understands that I take my pills and now I don't feel pain and I can move around. Yes, I get relief. Right. And the lawyers, we like to poke holes in the argument, 
But ultimately, the final statement was, I get relief. We lost. Then their doctor gets on the stand in the same process, and ultimately, the testimony, I get relief. We've lost. Mm -hmm. But then you talk to the doctor and you say, wait a second. The, non, the non-narcotics reduce the swelling. That's providing relief. Mm-hmm. The opioid-based analgesics attach to the opioid receptors in the mm-hmm. brain, and the swelling is still there. Right. The enzymes are still there. You're not getting relief, and therefore the opioids aren't right. Right. They're almost tricking your mind to thinking you're getting relief rather than actually giving you the... The, in, the lowering the inflammation that you may you need right attacking the source yes right. yeah and that that argument is gaining more and more ground so uh, and somebody asked me well how many times have you won the argument and i looked at him and smiled and said i've never won the argument i've <laughs> never won the argument and they looked at me and said well hold on no the reason i'm here is because i've never won the argument every time we raise the argument the the injured parties lawyer leans over to our lawyer and says can we agree to a brief adjournment i think we can settle this one right right so, right, right. So, but that is a win yeah you know it's just a win in a i just haven't way. had a, a judge rule in my favor yet. right yeah I, I think that's such an important thing to to talk about too because even from me sitting here listening i'm like that makes perfect sense you know it, it makes perfect like medical sense you know the thing of it is with opioids after a while, you build up a resistance. Mm-hmm. Your brain starts creating more opi- opioid receptors, and you're just spiraling downward. Yep. Um, and so if we can, as an industry, as a society, if we're breaking that cycle, I'm not out to punish a worker. Lord knows one day it's going to be my turn to be injured. And when that time comes, I want the right treatment. Right. And opioids, they have a place. I sure. don't say that they don't have a place, but 13 years after a uh, broken ankle, they have right. no place. Like, should they be used for long-term pain management versus, like you're saying, like you know, like, like you said, they have a place, but should a person be on it for years and years with the doses just increasing because they're becoming, you know, tolerant to yeah. the drugs? It's just it ends badly for so many people. So, it's 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 interesting that there's this other perspective out there that can maybe help you know, steer away from the opioids. And I think you mentioned medical marijuana in um, a worker's comp context prior yes. to <laughs> starting. And, you know, that's a hot issue in New Jersey, especially yeah. because yes. in New Jersey, you know, the comp carrier cannot pay directly for the marijuana because it's federally illegal, but they'll reimburse the injured worker for the medical marijuana that they buy. So it's very inter- interesting to see. And, and what is your take on it? Well, okay. New Jersey actually has a case where the New Jersey Supreme Court said, no, you have to pay. Right. Um, what happens is the federal law, the CSA, or Controlled Substance Act, has marijuana as a Schedule One, And so whenever there's a federal law involved, let's say um, um, ADA is a good example. Um, if I get addicted to opioids, if I have a heroin addiction, mm-hmm. I can be covered under ADA. If I get caught with cannabis in my bloodstream, I can't claim ADA because ADA is a federal law and it, when yep. the feds wrote that law, it is presumed that they knew that the CSA was there 
and that the two have to work together. New Jersey, what happens is, first off, there is a, um, there's a single sentence in this massive federal budget. It's a footnote. And it says, it was eliminated during uh, the Trump years, but it's now back in, that says that the federal government may not spend any money, uh, or the, excuse me, the Department of Justice may not spend any money on the prosecution or arrest of anybody involved in the medical marijuana community in a state where they have a medical mm -hmm. marijuana law. So the feds can't come, oh, excuse me, the feds cannot come in <laughs> and take any action because they don't have the funding to right. do it. So they can't touch New Jersey. The problem is that uh, the cases have been raised, the arguments have been raised that, but it's the federal banking system and mm -hmm. therefore um, CSA is gonna apply. New Jersey said, no, that's, that's not right. Um, we have the right to do it, and the workers' compensation judges set, um, have limited jurisdiction. So they can't rule on the constitutionality of this or not. The state court said, no, you, can, you have to pay for the medical marijuana. Versus Minnesota, mm -hmm. where they just had it, and the, the Minnesota Supreme Court said, nope, that's a violation of the CSA. You <laughs> can't pay it. But the interesting thing is that it was taken to the, to the U.S. Supreme Court from the Minnesota Supreme Court, and the U.S. Supreme Court said, we're not interested in hearing it. Yeah, yeah. they didn't want to touch it. Yeah. yeah, and even one of the most conservative justices on the Supreme Court, uh, Justice Clarence Thomas, in a case involving marijuana and taxation, said, you know, the basis of this whole marijuana discussion is a case that didn't make any sense, that came before us long ago, and it's time to revisit the issue. Yeah. So even the Supreme Court has indicated, Congress, do your job. Yeah. I, I think we will be seeing those changes happen sooner rather than later. Like okay. there's a lot of rumblings and things happening that I think yeah. it's, we're going to see those changes. Absolutely agree. Yeah. And, and so. do you know, have you seen any studies or just from working in the field, is the use of medical marijuana for an injured worker, is it just as good as having to take an opioid? Like, is it, how are they seeing it actually implemented and, and is it working? There's, there's arguments on both sides. That's why I'm smiling. Mm -hmm. It's, which, it's not so easy, yeah. right? It's not um, so cut and I mean, it's, it's a very, it depends. Well, yes, <laughs> I can absolutely say it depends. Yes. Um, Let's see, there's a study that I read where normally you do a blind study or a double blind study. This was the ultimate blind study. They took dogs that had hip dysplasia mm -hmm. and uh, arthritis and they studied the gait of the animals and then they started giving the animals cannabis and they saw improvement. So there is, there's valid proof there on that one study. It's yeah. just one study. On the other hand, there was a case where the court ordered medical marijuana, I forgot what state now, and the gentleman then proceeded to buy something like $15,000 worth of <laughs> marijuana in one month. <laughs> Goes back into court and the argument is, obviously, he's abusing the Right. And his answer was, no, no, I'm not. If you want, I can give it all back to you. I can't find the one that actually is gonna work for me. Yeah. The problem is that at this point, there's no standardization. Mm -hmm. With an opioid, I can give you an opioid, and it's too strong, 
we'll cut it in half. It's not working, we'll up. With marijuana, there's a lack of consistency at this point. Yeah, we I recently had on um, someone from uh, Canada who works for a, like a medical marijuana company, and he's like, they look treat it very differently. It's very pharmaceutical based, so it's it. They've it seems like they've moved more towards that direct dosing, where in the U.S. we're not quite there yet. We're getting there. Yeah, and. It's the problem that on one hand, I personally have an issue with it because we don't have it as tightly, Mm -hmm. I don't want to say regulated or controlled, but we don't have the sophistication yet. Right. But the only way we're going to get to that sophistication is someone's going to do trial and error. Maybe we can steal it from the Canadians who are doing it or the Europeans who are doing it, but somebody has to do it and fail and you, know, you have to be bold enough to be willing to fail. Yeah. So that way you can succeed. So that way we can then get that skill, uh, get that knowledge. And it's going to take a while. Yeah. I think it's part of the solution. Just like opioids are not the absolute answer. Just like surgery is not always the absolute answer. Right. Cannabis is going to be part of the conversation, part of the yeah. answer. I mean, there's not a one-size-fits-all approach. Just like we talk about it even with like litigation and case handling, there's not a one-size-fits-all right. approach to every case. It, it, each case is individual, and you have to d- devise your defense plan accordingly. Correct. It's not yeah. a check-the-box, check-the-box. <laughs> Unfortunately, a lot of times what happens is the court mm-hmm. does check-the-box, check-the-box yeah. on a new area. From my, from my experience, and the reason why is because as, as the field is developing they are trying to have the long view of have consistency in their decision making and it's hard to sometimes it's hard to differentiate twins you know would yeah. work for one i have to do it for the other yeah because the subtlety of the differentiation yeah. gets lost on uh in the opinion too yeah. often uh, well, I can see why your your talk was probably very well attended. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, the reason it was att- well attended was because I said there would be some giveaways. <laughs> were they giveaways that you were talking about? Because I imagine you might have gotten were a lot of people. Were there free samples at the end of your talk? <laughs> I have some candy here for you. <laughs> Actually, uh, when I did uh, the medical marijuana presentation a couple years back, Normally they have mints at the at mm-hmm. on the table for the um, for the speakers to keep mm-hmm. your throat uh, wet. I replaced them with gummies. <laughs> 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 and somebody asked the question. I was waiting for the moment. Somebody asked for the question. I went, "Ooh, this one's a tough one." I went back over to my chair and I pulled out a gummy that was about this big, <laughs> a gummy bear about this big. <laughs> like Jeff re- is real calm and <laughs> chill during his talk. <laughs> you should come back. <laughs> And in about 45 minutes, we'll continue the conversation. <laughs> <Yeah>. Nap time. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeff, I asked if, if you know this because you listen to the podcast, but, you know, knowing what you know now throughout the duration of your career, what advice would you give your younger self? <sighs> oh, gosh. Do better in science so you could have gone to medical school. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was pre-med and here I am. <laughs> I was pretty good at science. Um, I don't know. And the reason I say I don't know, I've, I've been asked that question a couple times in my life. And I guess the only thing is 
this happy saying that I have, which is be bold enough to make mistakes. Yeah. Be, or actually, the note, the uh, the little sign I had on my desk was, be bold enough to suck at something new. Yeah. Um, that if you would have asked me, would I be sitting here today doing this? Not in, not on your life, mm -hmm. but you don't know where life is going to take you. Just roll with it. It's yeah. just, you know, no matter where you land up, you're going to learn something new. It's going to be fun. Um, just go with the go with the flow. So, no, I I wouldn't give any other advice to my younger self than. Be bold enough to suck at something new. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Absolutely. Yeah, yes. I'm gonna tell my kids that. <laughs> <laughs> no, because they'll say, "Mom, nah, believe me, you've got that mastered." <laughs> I can say that because I have I have a college son. Yeah, <laughs> if I say it to him, I know that's what the response would be. <laughs> that's funny. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for sitting down and talking to us and taking some time away thank from because I, I know there's so many good sessions going on so i appreciate you taking some time away to chat with us thank you for having me thank you thanks thank you